Welcome to The Light Within, a podcast for anyone seeking to rewrite their life, live in their light, and align with their soul's highest purpose. I'm Leslie Draffin. I'm a journalist and menstrual cycle coach, and I'm obsessed with all things spirituality, sexuality, wellness, empowerment, and mysticism. Join me as I interview coaches, teachers, healers, and thought leaders from all around the globe about all the ways we can feel more tuned in, turned on, and lit up AF. If you're on a journey toward self-discovery, you've come to the right place. This is The Light Within. Hello, beautiful beings, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Light Within. We are talking all about women's health, vaginas, and how to be sexually empowered with the vagina blog creator, April Davis. I am so excited to have this conversation. April and I just finished up our cyclical coursework to become menstrual cycle coaches. That is how we met. And she graciously agreed to come on the podcast and talk about her work as a sex educator and menstrual cycle coach. She talks about her past as a birth assistant to doulas. And we really dive deep into how she is educating young people, especially her own children, about sex and about their bodies. In this conversation, we talk about the period revolution. We talk about sex education for modern times, eradicating fear around periods, sex, and taboo. She also has some excellent gift ideas. I know it's Valentine's Day, but if you forgot to get your loved one something, excellent ideas in this episode. Or if you're just looking for something any time of the year, some definite fabulous ideas are in this episode. I feel like one of the things I love most about this chat is really, first of all, how many wild conversations and topics we get up to talking about in this one, but also how open April is when she comes to talk about how she's educating her own children about their bodies and why she feels like education is the most protection you could give to someone, especially a young person before they go out into the world. April has an amazing Instagram presence and a fabulous blog and a podcast of her own. So I definitely suggest you guys check out all of those things. She is always talking about menstruation and sex. She's got some excellent discounts for you as well, especially if you want to check out some of the toys that we might mention in this episode. But really, I just feel like this is such a honest and open conversation about sex and periods, and I know you're going to love it. Now, here's a little more about April. April is a compelling speaker, creative, consultant, visual artist, and wordsmith, and has been featured in magazines, on podcasts, and on stage, sharing her wisdom, humor, and knowledge as the creator of the Vagina Blog and the Vagina Blog Podcast. Her passion and drive have created an entire community around female body health as she empowers women and vagina owners to love themselves fully while focusing on bringing light to taboo topics that we just don't talk about enough, like sex and periods, along with self-love and positivity. So please join me in welcoming April Davis to the Light Within podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have this chat. So the first thing, I ask all my guests is what ignites your light within? Mm, I think I feel very called into the work that I'm doing and very protective of uh, women and the female body and health and happiness. And so I, I think that's, that's what lights my fire and keeps me going. 
Mm. And so let's talk about what the work is that you do. So introduce yourself and you know what you bring into the world. So my name is April Davis. I own the Vagina Blog. I work, I have an online platform and website, and I work um, to help educate and empower people with female bodies so that they feel more at home and safe and uh, educated and knowledgeable about their body. And I try to do it in a fun way. <laughs> and you do. You do it in such a fun way. I love it. Um, when did you start? First of all, the fucking name, the vagina blog is like perfect. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Um. So when did you start it and why was that the name? And were you blogging before that? So the vagina blog was born about four years ago, almost exactly. I just had, she just had her fourth birthday. <laughs> um, I have blogged before that. I actually had worked for a couple different mommy blogs as a women's health consultant. I mommy blogged myself. Uh, it was really funny because when people would come over to see like my personal stuff, they'd be like, I love when you talk about birth or talk about vaginas, but why do you keep taking pictures of your food? And I also don't care about your children. And, or people would come over to look at pictures of food and get recipes and be like, but why do you have to keep bringing up vaginas? It's weird, you know? And so <laughs> it just made sense, uh, to kind of niche down. I worked for years as a birth assistant to a nurse midwife and a doula and also a birth photographer. And there's just nothing more incredible than witnessing uh, people in labor. It's absolutely amazing. So I think I really grew to respect uh, that whole process and also the incredible like power within us as we go through that and transformation that takes place. And I really, I wanted to bring that energy and knowledge to the masses. Um, I also ended up kind of having to retire from birth work. And with all of the knowledge that I had, I was like, what in the world do I do with this? Mm -hmm. I, you know, now that I can't go do what I absolutely love, what's the best step to the side? And this just made the most sense. Mm. And the, the blog and the Instagram, they're just like such a perfect kind of like cheeky look at periods and sex. Um, there's this one highlight reel you've gotten. It's like where sex happened, I think is what it's called. Um, yes. And so there's just so many awesome ways that you're really getting rid of like the taboo. And I would love to know from your own personal perspective, like how did you get comfortable talking about that stuff in such a public platform? Because I mean, maybe it really came easy to you, but I don't know. I really think I was born this way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As, this has always been like a fascination of mine. It's always been something that I have loved talking about I've, and learning about from other people. Uh, and so it, it's just grown further and further into a passion. There was still definitely a uh, transitional coming out, you know, when all of a sudden it was like, I, I am, I am the vagina blog. Yeah. That's who I am, you know? And now that I've kind of <laughs> taken on the ownership of that fully, it just makes so much sense. Absolutely. Um, and so why do you feel like sharing so openly and so authentically about these topics in particular is important? So here in the U.S., we are seeing maternal mortality rates go up, meaning more and more and more people are dying in childbirth. That's crazy. And then you multiply that by about four when it comes to people of color. Mm -hmm. That's horrible. 
And the realization of that and looking at my own self and saying, okay, what can I do to fix this? Well, if I build this space and I start educating people and I'm able to get to them right now today. Ideally, we stop all of our bad patterns dead in their tracks. We mm-hmm. stop all the generational trauma. We stop all of the crap that we put up with growing up. And this generation starts right now teaching their kids better, talking to them about sex, talking to them about their periods, teaching them about their own anatomy, teaching them about female pleasure, teaching them all the things. So if I can empower and build confidence in everyone right now today to turn and do this with their children Ideally, by the time that those kids are going in and meeting with their doctor to have the birth control conversation, which they will as probably teens, um, they're, they're empowered. They're assertive. They're happy to have an open conversation with their doctor about things, but they also understand boundaries and body autonomy and consent. And so then by the time we get to the, the birth conversation, they're not allowing things to just happen to them. They're not allowing themselves to be taken advantage of. They're not at all. They're, they're, demanding to consent to what happens to them Um, and ideally they're empowered in in what's happening to their bodies because with that shift we'll see the maternal mortality rates improve and i i also you know just want to scream as loud as i possibly can because let's raise a whole another better generation of care providers too Mm -hmm. absolutely and so how many children do you have Three. Okay. <clears throat> so three children. So it's, it's really amazing that you're really coming from this place of like, you're a mother and you're wanting to help people, but also helping like this next generation as well. I, I just love that. Yeah. And so we met and I say met like in quotation marks during cyclical, which yeah. is this <laughs> course that my podcast listeners know, you know, I just went through and got certified to be a menstrual cycle coach. Um, and so I'd love to talk to you kind of about why you joined cyclical and why you are, um, adding that into your repertoire of all the things that you offer to people. I, so funny. I just had this exact conversation with Gemma, our instructor yeah. last night for oh. her podcast. Okay. <laughs> and so I love that we're talking about it again, because I first and foremost love Gemma. She is who taught us. Um, I also knew that she was going to invest the time, the energy, everything. I, when, when I thought about stepping into more of a coaching role and working with people one-on-one about menstrual cycle work, for me, it wasn't that I didn't have the knowledge going into it. It was that I kind of wanted someone to hold my hand and say, Hey, this is kind of how it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, and she just did such a beautiful job of doing that. I also don't think I realized Cause it was such a, it was so interesting. I was realizing like, I think coaching a little more one-on-one and things is something I want to offer to my audience, but you know, I'm not positive how to step into that. And I was like, you know what? I just need to, I need to call Gemma, set up an appointment with her, go over some things with her. I'm sure she would be, I'm sure I could work out something. So she's kind of coaching me on how to coach, you know, like I already had this all put together in my brain. And then she announced that she was launching exactly that. Huh. It was just the most aligned moment. And so, of course, I was like, well, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, but it, it, I think what I didn't know that I needed was the community. Mm-hmm. 
like that first call that we had, seeing that the work that I'm doing, I am not alone. We are not alone in this work. Um, it's global. Our class, our, our group that we went through with is global. Mm -hmm. And there was something really empowering and incredible about being in that energy of knowing that I'm not on this mission all by myself. There are so many other people who want to do this and want to teach this and we all need it. I mean, there, we can't, we couldn't flood this market if we wanted to. There's so much hunger for this knowledge. Uh, and it's just really exciting to, to get into that. Mm, I wholly, wholly agree with that. And I think for me, because of the way that I was raised, um, you know, my dad was a preacher. My mom had had a hysterectomy before I was born. So my sister and I were adopted. I didn't really grow up with a bleed, someone who was bleeding in the family. And so it was even more hidden and more taboo. And I was more lost and more confused. And so I went on the pill at 18, stayed on it for 16 years. I'm child free by choice. And so that's never been something I was going to experience. But I finally started realizing there are other ways to keep myself from getting pregnant. My husband had a vasectomy. I went off the pill and all hell broke loose, like all hell broke loose in my body. And that's what I found, Gemma, which had then two years or so later led me to, to cyclical. And while I did all that inner work and the research, I found out like the wildest, most ter like the terrible shit, like about period poverty, about how much, like, we think we have taboo about periods, like India and, and places in Africa. I mean, where girls mm -hmm. have to stay home, where they can't, like, go to school, where they don't have the proper things to, like, help them bleed safely and hygienically. Um, I saw this story where there was, like, a 13-year-old girl in, in India who committed suicide after she had bled through her clothes at school and her teacher shamed her for it. And I'm like, holy shit, it's like that's so the fucking work, right? And so Jim yep. always talks about this like period revolution. And I would love to kind of get your thoughts about being on the forefront of that because it's like you've already been doing the work for the last four years with the vagina blog too. Mm -hmm. I, I think having these conversations on a public stage is really the most important thing that we can be doing. And then also looking to help mm -hmm. and saying where, where and how. It's a big beast mm -hmm. to tackle because I, I always feel like I am not doing enough and we are not fixing it fast enough and there's got to be, what do I need to do, you know? And the reality is we all need to get together like this. We need to talk about these things. We need to make everyone else more aware of it and fix it. Yeah. <laughs> I literally had this conversation with my husband this morning as I'm, you know, starting my own coaching practice and figuring out like, what is the problem that I can guarantee I solve? Yeah. Obviously, because with period coaching, there's so many things we cannot guarantee, obviously. Yep. And he said, he's like, you know, I got to say when I, when you first told me you were going to be a period coach, I was like, who the fuck would pay for someone to, you know, help them with their period? Don't y'all already know all this? Like who needs help that much? And he's like, now everyone, he has guy friends whose, whose wives see me posting about this. And like, these are like older gentlemen and they're, their wives are, you know, yep. in their forties or something. And they're, and, yep. the, and the men will like message me and be like, this is awesome. Like my wife, like hasn't messaged you yet, but like, I'm so excited for you. To, it's just wild. Like, what is yep. it like? At least half the population will bleed at some point. Yep. And a lot of people it have issues. Needed. Oh, so many people. And I think the, the realization that we've all come to is when you go to a medical provider, oh God, they really only have birth control. 
That's really their only weapon. Oh my and God. so if you're like, cool, the contraceptive drugs don't work great. They're like, man, sucks to be you. Mm-hmm. Like oh. that's really their band-aid for pretty much all women's health problems. Oh yeah. Is, have you tried birth control? And so for those of us, which is pretty much everyone, who's like, maybe I don't want to be on contraceptive drugs for the rest of my life. And maybe I don't like the side effects of the drugs for the rest of my life. Maybe I don't need to shut down an entire system in my body to treat my acne Mm -hmm. or to treat just like cramps. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Maybe, maybe we need to, you know, offer some better solutions. And unfortunately there's not a lot of people showing up and saying, I have better solutions. Here we are. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. I just put a post out on this like a couple of weeks ago about the pill and what I wish I had known. And I'm like, straight up, this is not bashing the pill because it worked for me for 16 years when I had no knowledge I and, and coming from an abstinence-based sex education in schools yep. where I learned that if I have sex, I'll get pregnant or I'll die, basically. Yep. Um, yep. And no mention of how to prevent pregnancy other than like, don't do None. it because come on. Yep. And then as a married woman... Like it's ridiculous. So there's so many things I wish well, you I had don't known. want to practice abstinence in marriage for crying out loud, right? It's <laughs> it's like oh my god, it's frustrating. And Were you ill equipped. <laughs> <sighs> and so it's like all the Any things parents I listening. Know. Yeah, you can't rely on the public school system to educate your children in this. So like that's a big problem, right? It's mm-hmm. there's no. Yeah, um, it's really frustrating and. I have the same thing. It's very, it's a weird place to be in where you're like, I don't think people should take birth control. Also, I will fight to the death to make sure it's protected and covered as healthcare. We're free. We're fucking free. Yes. And on top, like these things are big things to face, Uh right? Birth control just kind of quietly takes care of it for you. And especially if you're not living with horrific side effects right out the gate, like, I get it. I've also, I've been on IUDs. I've been on the pill. I've done a shot. Like, I've done all the things. And at the end of the day, if my husband did not have a vasectomy, I probably would still be using an IUD. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things where, like, when people are like, but I don't know. And I'm like, that's okay. Let's yeah. just meet you right where you're at and see what we can do and work within. Because there's definitely better and worse birth controls, right? Right. There's better and worse contraceptive means. And, uh, and so even going over, like, here's the pros and cons of all these. So often when we go into a doctor's appointment, we're with them for five to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. They're not going in depth about a lot of this stuff. And I also think there's a lot of fear maybe around things. I know a lot of people that are like, no, I just want to keep taking the pill because I don't want an IUD inside me. That freaks me out. And I'm like, that's totally fair. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, at least with an IUD, you're ovulating and they don't, I love when people are like, what do you mean? I'm not ovulating on the, on the pill. I'm like, why do you think it protects you against pregnancy? It's mm-hmm. completely shutting down all of your own natural hormone systems. Mm-hmm. Oh, but th- no one tells them that when they met, like prescribe it for them. No. <clears throat> Can you imagine if you went in and said, I'm suffering from acne or cramps. Cole, we're going to put you on a hormone replacement therapy that's going to completely shut down all of your body's natural hormones, override them. It has this list of side effects, which may include... At pretty much all the things. And then when you come in with some of these side effects, we're never going to suspect this drug. We're always (laughs) going to think it's something else. It is so weird to me. Like I developed developed irritable bowel with IUD. Not one time did anyone say, do you have an IUD? Yeah. Oh, man. 
as soon as I took out my ID, guess what went away? The irritable bowel. Mm. But I, I mean, I went in, I had scopes done. We thought it was ulcers. I mean, we went through oh, the whole gamut of all the things. The IUD was never mentioned. It wasn't like, not even a thought. And that happens so often with so many people I know on birth control. What's more frustrating about it is I'll be like, did you read the pamphlet that came with the thing that you're on? And they're like, no. And I'm like, we'll read the pamphlet. And I, I would say about nine times out of 10, the side effect they're suffering from is listed there. And they literally have to take that to their doctor and go, see how it says in the pamphlet you gave me? Maybe this is a legitimate. Yeah. <clears throat> this yeah. is not how healthcare should work, guys. <laughs> it's no. such a hot mess. It is a hot mess. And there's so many other things. It's like, I remember when the vaccine was coming out for COVID and blood clots were a side effect and all the uproar within my own self and people that I know, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, um, there's many other things, the birth control in particular, that also causes like all of these things. And significantly it, yeah, significantly higher rates. Yeah. But no one's freaking out nope. about that. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so the other thing for me that I didn't realize, like after I came off of hormonal birth control, that's when I learned all this shit. That's not when I should have learned all this shit. Like, I feel no. like I probably should have known before. And so I feel like that's why your work is going to be so influential, especially when you have younger people knowing this beforehand. Um, and you know, we're, yeah. I'm not fertility awareness trained. Are you fertility awareness trained? Okay. No, it's not something I want to, it's not a responsibility I want to take on. You know, yeah, it's a lot, right? And I'm someone who's not going to have children. So it's kind of one of those things where I don't feel equipped. But what I was, the reason I mentioned it, it's like, if you give young people the tools to know what's going on in their body and how they can properly address issues, how they can keep themselves naturally from getting pregnant, I think that then we won't have an entire multiple generations of, of women who have been silencing their bodies, silencing themselves, creating all of these symptoms things like anxiety, things like depression. I mean, that shit's linked to the pill and the hormonal contraceptive as well. It's like, what will happen in this next generation of these like empowered people when we think about the fact that like they, if they choose not to be pumping synthetic hormones through their body, it's wild. The shit they could get, get up. It's to. wild. It's exciting. I also wonder if we're going to start to see a decline in some of their fertility issues. Cause it, it's a hard thing when you're looking at someone who's been suppressing all of that since they were 13 years old and now they're 30 and they want to get pregnant and they don't understand why they're not getting pregnant. Well, your system stopped developing at 13. Mm -hmm. Give it a minute. You know, and, and it sucks. Like it absolutely, like I have chronic vitamin D deficiency and will probably for the rest of my life mm. from using birth control over so many years of development mm -hmm. in my body. Yeah. That's just a reality, you know? And so it, but at the same time, even with a lot of this knowledge, I was consenting mm -hmm. to what I was doing because the benefits outweighed the negatives for me in that moment. And it also changed what type of contraceptive drugs I used. Yeah. So I, that's the frustration is I also hate this weird stigma. Every time I get on Instagram and talk about some of the dangers of birth control or the questions that you should have or the side effects you should be aware of, I almost always have a medical professional come at me. Mm. And it's really interesting because for them, it's like, you can't, you can't do this. You can't say that. You can't scare people. You can't. And I'm like, why is it that you and your very medical knowledge do not trust women 
with their own fertility and bodies. Yeah. This is very strange. And it's very often it's female medical mm. that are yelling at me. And I'm like, what? But in their minds, anything and everything is better than accidentally getting pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot for me is like on that exact same note, it's like, because I was so terrified based on my shitty ass education, mm-hmm. I thought I, could, I thought I could, first of all, I think I've talked about this in a podcast before. Let's go through the wild reasons why I thought I could get pregnant. Like after I had my first period at 11, I didn't have it for six months. Didn't know that was a thing. Thought I had gotten pregnant because I used my dad's towel. Okay. That's oh, yeah. the kind of education yeah. I was yeah. coming from, you know? So yeah. it's like, so yeah. yes, we have this fear. Yes. We think I have to take this pill because I know it's going to work because if I breathe near a boy, he's going to knock me up. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, of course. Yep. But, but like, it's, it's also really sketchy to me that like our medical professionals are like, take this pill not to get pregnant, then come back and pay, pay for fertility treatments when you can't get pregnant. And then when you get into menopause, here's a whole bunch of more fucking hormones that you pay for because you're going to be all messed up. That's super sketch to me. Same. <laughs> Same. It's it's really frustratingly sketchy. And and, uh, and, and, and like and I mean the numbers are up around like it's like 60% of people taking contraceptive drugs are taking them for something else. They're yeah. not even taking them to manage fertility. They're taking them for things like acne. Like I I did a segment on Instagram called Bad Advice. Mm-hmm. And one of them that someone asked, it was, it was about periods or something. And I was like, oh yeah, just go ahead and take ibuprofen for a full week out of the month, every month for the rest of your life. That won't do any damage long-term. And I cannot tell you the number of messages I got that was like, wait, I do this. I do this. And I didn't even realize like, that's really my life plan. That's Mm -hmm. the plan. That's a terrible plan. But it's the same with like the contraceptive drugs. Like I, you have acne. Go ahead and shut down an entire hormonal system in your body for the rest of your life for your acne. Like, no, take zinc, dude. Try zinc. Try this. Like, there's so many other options yeah. other than hormonal birth control. It's the same with PCOS management. It's been so frustrating navigating that on my own because any medical professional I go to is like, but why don't you want to just take birth control? Because <laughs> I don't want to. Okay, well, we don't actually know what to do then. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. That is exactly like I got off the pill, got diagnosed with PCOS. They're like, well, you yep. can just go back on the pill. I'm like, um, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, well, then we don't know what to do. And okay, the other cool. Thing is, I'll just muddle through this uh, then. Oh my God. That's like a whole <laughs> other freaking podcast. The whole PCS talk, because, know. you know, at least, you know, we present in bodies that I think have pretty good thin privilege and we're not out here being told the number one reason that you have it or the one way to help it is to lose weight. Cause we have, Oh, I am. I'm, I'm obese. It's oh. based on the medical model. So every single time I go in, they're like, have you considered losing weight? Oh my gosh, and I'm like, Oh my up. goodness. What? I've never thought of such things. I've been prescribed appetite suppressants and, um, what? what's the other one? <laughs> like so many times and speed essentially like, a like stimulant. I've yeah, yeah. prescribed stimulants and appetite suppressants my entire life because that's okay. going to fix it. Because of where you stand on the BMI scale? Yeah. Oh, fuck the BMI scale, man. Oh, my No, I don't have them. I I found you for, like, a cold one time, and my doctor was like, have you thought about losing weight? I'm like, for the cold? 
to get rid of the cold? No, I haven't thought about losing weight to get rid of my cold. Do you oh think that would work? God. Would I never get cold again? How is my weight? It is. Yeah. Oh my god. So. Uh huh. Fuck. That sucks, man. It's like <laughs> wild. Oh wow. Yeah, I've stopped. I've stopped letting days. them weigh me. So I like checked out of diet culture last July after 20 years of eating disorders yep. and dieting. I checked Same. out, and now I don't let I don't let them weigh me anymore. <laughs> and like, and I'm like. I had this doctor and she's like, well, we need to weigh you for, for like prescription. I was like, do you, do you need to weigh me for the prescription? No, you actually don't. If you need to know my weight, I'll just tell you and you can just go ahead and prescribe me based on it. It's fine. But if we don't need it, we don't need it. Cause I don't need to have a conversation about it right now. Yeah. Cause I know the other thing too, I've gotten back into where that, what they consider a better, guess what? It didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. What's frustrating with the PCOS too, with the weight loss, just cause is that they have found it works really great for about six months. Mm-hmm. And if your symptoms don't resolve and stay resolved after that six month mark, losing more weight doesn't change anything. Gaining the weight back doesn't change anything. Like it's, it's a great band aid for about six months of your life. So... Well, that's also like, if you look at the studies on weight loss in general, like six months is kind of like how long most people keep it off. I, I've yeah. just been doing these, I've been doing so many like stories for work on this and like two to five mm-hmm. years out, 95% of people have regained the weight, two thirds gained more. So it's, yeah, it's just a whole, a whole mess. The the yo-yoing is far more dangerous than having a little bit of excess oh, weight on you. And yeah. that, but isn't it, isn't it interesting? We dove in to talk about periods, but the reality is it's an, it's a big, broad women's health bubble mm-hmm. that is so multifaceted. There's a lot here. There is so much here. And the next place we're going is to talk about sex education. Because, like, I've mentioned it multiple times about how mine was super (laughs) awful. And the thing that, like, I read recently, it's, you know, we wouldn't just, like, go out thinking we know how to, like, play golf. But, like, once we do get married, and I say married because that's the acceptable, like, church-given time you can have sex, we're just expected to Mm -hmm. know what the hell to do. And to Mm -hmm. know... Yeah, it's wild to me. So I would love to know, like, how you kind of became sex educator, like what you think, like, the messaging needs to be, um, and just kind of what your thoughts are on about, like, sex education for modern humans, regard, like, as adults even. Yeah. It was a really interesting moment. So I, I have a 12-year-old. My oldest is 12. I have a daughter that's 12. And I have a 9-year-old and a 5-year-old son. And, um, I kind of made a commitment that I was just going to tell them all the things. And especially when I was pregnant with my third, both my daughters were a little bit older, uh, and kind of, they were aware I was pregnant. I had lots of questions and I was like, what is the harm? Like, what is the actual harm in answering all of your questions? Just completely honestly, like what, what would that do? What if you just knew everything? Yeah. And so, I mean, really the worst that they have done is they really throw the word vulva around so fluently. And even being as enlightened as I am, I'm like, Oof, you say vulva a lot. <laughs> I am obsessed with that. I, I'm obsessed with that. I love it. I can imagine your little like rock star children, just vulva, vulva. That's exciting. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I bought all the books and I leave all the books out where they just can get to them whenever they want to. And I've walked in at night when they're reading themselves bedtime stories and they're reading through these books and looking at pictures and making sense of things in their own, their own pace at their own time. Um, Having books like that around is important to me because I feel like if they already have all the information, they're not going to go looking for it. Mm -hmm. 
You know, this is ideally going to keep them maybe off the computer for a little bit longer, satisfy any questions that they have. And then it also spurned so many great conversations with questions and they just feel like they can come talk to me about. And so it's, it's been really neat. But even my daughter, she's starting to hear about all sorts of stuff at school. She's an intermediate school. They're talking about all the things. They're cracking all the jokes. Most of them have no idea what they're talking about. And so I've just tried to be really wide open. We sat her down and pretty much told her absolutely everything. But that was, I mean, we'd had so many conversations leading up to that. She already knew what intercourse was and what its function was, but just really more from an anatomical, Mm -hmm. scientific, like this is how you get pregnant type standpoint. Well, we like sat her down and explained female pleasure. We explained uh, the ins and outs of all the things we talked about shame. We talked about pornography. Um, and we talked about like the standards that we have for her and what we would recommend because something else I'm seeing is people are swinging really hard the opposite way. Pendulum wise. I think all of us were really raised in a very like abstinence only type of, I mean, I, I come from an extremely Orthodox religious family as well. Mm -hmm. Um, was also only taught abstinence was also only, really just a lot of misinformation or complete lack of it. Right. Right. Um, and so I was like, if she knows everything, like that only is offering her protection. Mm-hmm. She's not going to go out tomorrow and start having sex with everyone simply because she knows what the act is. Yeah. She's just not. And when her friends crack jokes, she's going to be like, actually, do you know what you're talking about? Like, do you know what that means? I know what that means, mm-hmm. you know? And I would much rather her be maybe the slightly overeducated kid than the kid who has absolutely no idea. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of made that commitment as a parent and also to just my children that I would rather them be overeducated than under. And, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing because I'm like, right now this feels like the absolute best thing to do and the best way to do it. And I know other professionals that do things this way, but you know, at the same time, I'm still early on that journey personally. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. One thing that I have found is that when someone is grooming a child, they typically are determining if they have other people in their life that they talk to about this stuff. Mm -hmm. As soon as they realize that they are familiar with their own anatomy and know the terms, a lot of times that will deter someone from doing anything to your child because they know that they're comfortable going and saying, someone touched my vulva, Mm -hmm. someone touched my boobs. I know that that's wrong and inappropriate. And I came to tell you, mom, because I trust you. And I know that we've talked about this before. So when we talk to our kids openly like this, we really are protecting them in so many ways and also alleviating them of so much anxiety. Like you thinking you were pregnant for six months when you're 11 years old because of using a towel, like no 11 year old needs the anxiety of thinking that they somehow got pregnant this way you don't need that in you know in your life. And so many teens suffer so much from thinking that they're going to get pregnant from X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I don't want my kids living a life in fear. They don't need that. You know, they need to know exactly what actually will happen and how it will happen. Because the, the thing they found with abstinence-only education and really, really strict religious households, it might postpone your kids from having sex for a year. Mm it does not change whether or not they're going to have sex before marriage, after marriage. That's a decision they ultimately make for themselves. We actually don't have that much control of it over it as parents. 
and that's okay. So I think accepting that my children are little sexual beings who are going to have vibrant, healthy, happy sex lives. Anything I can do to build out a happy sex life for my kids, why would I not want that for them? Oh my God, I love this. (laughs) (laughs) I want my kids to have happy, healthy sex. And like, we're even, I'm, I'm raising them in such a way that like, I told them, like, I did not have sex till I was married. Mm-hmm. That was a decision I made for myself. That was a decision your dad made for himself. Um, here's all the pros and here's all the cons of the decision that we made. And he, ultimately, kids, you guys are going to have to just decide that for yourself, too. Yeah. And we're just going to love you either way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, you're the mom that I needed. Like. <laughs> that so many do right like it's like oh my gosh like if okay so first of all you said you have a bunch of books like what books are the ones that you kind of gravitate toward the ones that you've got lying around the house oh so many there's one called uh i think it's when a child is born that one's really fun it's a it's you get to see every single week of a pregnancy and it's actual photographs of a fetus and actual photographs of pregnant women Um, there's actually a heat scan of people having intercourse. So like it's graphic, but not too graphic for a child because they're just interested. They're like, Oh my gosh, this is fascinating. You know? And so you, you, you kind of get to see and be familiar with some of those things without it being like, Oh really? Yeah. In your face, but it's also real. Uh, I love the vagina one-on-one pop-up book. Oh God. Okay. That one's pretty awesome. They have a pop-up in the middle of the female anatomy, which is amazing. It's been so helpful for my kids to look at that and be like, okay, okay. I get it. That's the pee hole. That's the vagina. That's the, okay. Anus. Yep. Got it. Like, and so I love that one. And then, um, there's a, I mean, what makes a baby is a really great one. The care and keeping of you is really great. Bunk nine's guide to growing up is another favorite. There's so many good books out there right now. And, you know, as an educator myself, I love having all of these on hand. You don't have to own every single one of these. But like I said, I'd much rather have just books around that they can go look up and know that the, the stuff is in there. Because the longer I can kind of keep them maybe off of Google and the Internet. Yeah. I just I just don't I don't want my kids gaining any education from pornography. I just right. don't, you know. Yeah, 100 um, percent. So let's talk about. I guess the message like you want them to have as far as, you know, young people about their bodies, about um, periods, about sex in general, like what would you think would be just like the message you hope they have? The same one that young male bodies and boys get when they go through puberty, it is the coolest thing in the world. Nothing is cooler than getting hair on your balls and getting stronger and bigger and stronger and hairier they are having just the best time ever like really you know having all these changes take place because they are finally becoming big manly men and obviously this is for people that identify with their you know body and so i'm speaking very generalized here but the messaging that so many little girls get is you're gonna bleed hide it it's the worst oh and it hurts and also it's shameful so just suppress ignore get rid of that you're gonna get hair get rid of it as soon as possible it's super gross you're gonna get boobs put them away wear a bra tuck it away you're gonna stink deodorize that perfume it wash it scrub it take care of it 
everything around that messaging is so shrink, hide, suppress, shame. It's horrible. I hate watching this happen to 12 and 13 year olds as they're like, all of a sudden I have a weird new relationship with every male person in my life. Yeah. Everything about me is gross and shameful and changing at a rapid rate. What am I supposed to do about my acne and my armpit hair and my, like even for my daughter, I was like, here's a razor. If you want to use it, great. If you don't want to, I don't care. Whatever. It's your body, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> same with the bra. If you want to wear a bra, wear a bra. If you don't want to wear a bra, don't wear a bra. <laughs> There's actually no requirement to do any of these things. Have fun. Because I want her to be empowered. And it's the same messaging around menstruating. Like, I love teaching people that the peace, the peace of the that washes over people's faces when I explain to them, like, oh, we are actually completely different than the male body. Our hormone cycle is not at all like theirs. The world that we live in is built beautifully for their hormone cycle. Oh, my God. Not because men are bad or that there's anything wrong with them. That's just how our world was built. And we're not them. And that's fine. We have our own special things. And here are all of them. It's the best. Like, I could just talk about this all day with absolutely everyone. Because mm -hmm. seeing people step into their power and go, oh, nothing's wrong with me. I'm not weak. I'm just not a man. That's all really simple seems fairly straightforward but it is revolutionary <laughs> wow and what would you tell like young april like what would be the message for yourself if you could go back and like with everything you know now like what would you tell her i do this a lot actually i go back and i hold on to her and i hug her and i tell her everything's going to be okay that that I find a nice life companion and I have wonderful kids and I do great work and I find, you know, and sex is great. <laughs> and I would just tell her to stop trying to shrink and stop hurting herself all the time over that. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is airing on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone who's watching. So let's just shift slightly into a little more talk about sex and pleasure because your gift okay. guides are like my favorite thing. Like you're seriously like the Christmas gift guides you had out was like what to give your I think there was one for like your sister or your mom, like your girlfriend. Yeah. So let's talk sex toys. Um what do you love these days? Like, what is the thing that like you are really into? Um, yeah, let's just go there. Yeah. So, um, I'm so glad to hear this because sometimes doing gift guides and stuff, I'm like, I'm not trying to come across as salesy. I get asked about this a lot. I'm trying to like show you the things, you know? And so it's, it's just good to hear that, that it's coming across exactly the way that it's supposed to. <laughs> um, I, this is a very tricky question because people are like, what's the best one? And I'm like, oh, yeah. well, for me and my special body that is completely different than you and your body, I like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I can, you know, obviously explain why. Uh, the Hitachi Magic Wand has been like the original. Plugs mm -hmm. into the wall, yeah. has two speeds, is such a favorite. It is a classic for a reason. 
And I, it's my favorite gift to give people because it's a pretty easy go-to. It's great to use during intercourse. It's great to use in addition to intercourse. It's great to use solo. It also actually does feel really nice on your neck. <laughs> the neck <Yeah>. massager. <laughs> you can see me, I'm putting my fingers up and quotes as a neck massager. But it's, I mean, it's a great, uh, if you want to masturbate while you're menstruating, keep your undies on and you can like rub your uterus and your hips at the same time with this. I mean, it's, it is a great universal toy. Most people really enjoy clitoral stimulation. It's another one that's great if it's too strong. You can always wear clothing and use it over your clothing so it's not too much. Uh, it's it's a good universal toy. So I, I tell people, I'm like, have fun with that one. Like, play with that. That's a good, any wand is going to be an easy peasy fun toy. I get asked a lot if expensive toys are better than cheap toys. And the answer is absolutely 100% yes. But if you're like, man, I kind of want to dive into toys, but I don't know if I'm going to super duper like them. And I'm really scared of the giant price tag on them. Run on down to the grocery store and pick up a $15 toy from Target. Yeah. You know, see if you like vibration. See if you like incorporating a toy into your sex life. If you're like, man, this is, this is it. I like this then invest in the big expensive toy mm -hmm. and enjoy it yeah. because they really are nicer. They really do last longer. They're usually rechargeable and waterproof and oh, better God. built and right. Mm -hmm. So it's, they're worth it, but don't feel like you have to start there, yeah. you know? Absolutely. And the one that I use, what do I use? The Wee Vibe. Oh, I love anything out by them is great. Yep, They're a great I, brand. Yep. I have one of those. I bought it a couple of years ago when my husband was actually away in Europe for a trip and I bought it because I was like, oh, there's like an app. We didn't end up using the yes. app, but you can use yes. it like remotely. And I'm telling mm -hmm. you, like you just mentioned, nothing is worse. Toy. Nothing is worse than yeah. like not having batteries. And so shit that's rechargeable oh. with like your little mini USB is the best thing like ever. And that one's really good because you can bend it and you can actually use it yep. internally while also having sex or just use it externally. It's the one that's yep. my, that's my go-to. Um, it's such a good toy. Yeah. And so what do you think about, um, first of all, like two questions. One, have you heard all this shit where it's like, if you use vibration on your clit, then it'll like destimulate your clit and like, it will not be able to like have clitoral stimulation or pleasure anymore. Have you heard that one? I sure have. <laughs> <laughs> sure you have heard that one. Is that true? No. <laughs> you know, it's, I've heard all sorts of different versions of this too. Like if you are using toys that are artificial and like you're messing with like the spiritual practice of female pleasure and all this. Um, no. <laughs> this is what frustrates me too. We have some sort of weird superiority complex around using toys sometimes. I When I started talking about them openly, I had a lot of people like, oh, I don't need those. And I was like, I don't care. Why would, what would be wrong if you did? Are people yeah. that need them just not supposed to have orgasms then? Or right. are there good orgasms and bad orgasms? I'm going to need you to further explain why you're superior to me. Because you don't use toys. <laughs> Explain it. Make yeah. it make sense. It doesn't. Uh, from a spiritual standpoint, if you really truly believe that it is somehow vibrating out and messing with whatever your chakras, if you're not rooted anymore, your sacral, then yes, take a step away. Maybe it's mm -hmm. not for you. Maybe manual stimulation is, is where you live. Um, if you are using your toy so much that you are no longer enjoying partnered sex, 
uh, take a break. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Find, find some middle ground on that. Usually when people come to me and have experienced this, they're using their toy multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So cut back, give it a week, take a break. I've definitely been in that whole, like, so after I came off of the pill, the immediate side effect was a complete lack of libido. Like didn't want to have sex, didn't want to self-pleasure like, uh, at all. And so I thought to myself, okay, I need to like upgrade my sex toys. And I really jumped full, (laughs) full force into like the crystal ones. Cause I'm very like witchy, very woo. And I jumped straight into that. Right. And so bless Rosie Reese for creating the Yoni pleasure palace, which has all of those beautiful toys, the beautiful wands, but also I started judging myself for needing, Mm -hmm. needing to use the vibrator. And so for like months, I would like refuse to reach for it whenever I was having sex with my husband and I was not coming. I was not fucking coming. And so it was like, why do I even want to have sex if I'm not coming? And so finally, and my husband is great. He doesn't have any type of feelings. Like we've talked about this multiple times. And I think my husband's like, whatever. Yeah, I think he, he said something like when we first started dating, he's like, yeah, it kind of was like in like weirded me out a little how many sex toys you had because we started dating when he was 22 and I was 29. So there was yeah. a difference in our sexual history. But um, now yeah. he's like totally fine with it. And I saw a TikTok the other day and it's like we have to start thinking of like sex toys as our teammates. Like as a man who was saying is like, this is a teammate. Like, it's not my competition. This isn't my, this isn't the opposing team. It's not my enemy. This is the best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you imagine a guy walking up to another guy building a house with, with power tools and saying, this is shameful of you. Right. You should really switch to a hammer and nails. Yep. And a handsaw, right? Power tools don't make any sense. (laughs) Would never happen. No, these are best friends. These are best friends. And I mean, really like you just, did you catch it? Like judgment. Mm-hmm. You stepped into judgment and then suddenly now we have shame and then we have not coming. And when I hear that stuff, I'm just looking at them going like, if you need to stick to some sort of weird moral code you've set for yourself where you don't use any sort of toys. Okay. <laughs> I am going to be on team orgasm over here having a great time. You just let me know. <laughs> yeah how that's going for you. It didn't go well, but we went back to the vibrator yeah, and now everything I, is good. <laughs> I've been really lucky. I've had a great, healthy, happy sex life where I wouldn't say that I need, need, mm-hmm. but I also never regretted incorporating toys into my sex life. It's just a fun thing. And also I just made some things easier because mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, look, I don't know if I can fully 100% get into this and commit to this right now. I know that. I know I'm, I'm in my head and I've got things, but if we have a little bit of help, yeah. <laughs> I'm also in a mixed libido marriage. Like my husband has a much lower libido than I do. Opening up the gates of like, I could just masturbate. And my husband being like, you could just masturbate. <laughs> Oh my God. Beautiful. It has fully changed our sex life. It has removed all this pressure from him. If anything, we have more sex now because there's no pressure on him around it. Yeah. Beautiful for everyone. Everyone's having more orgasms. So it's hard because I'm definitely biased. (laughs) But if it's a problem for you, then it's a problem. Yeah. So if you're like, I feel numb or I also have had a hard time sometimes switching from 
uh, vibration type stimulation to just manual stimulation. So beware that that's a real thing. If you start out with vibration, you may need to continue using vibration throughout intercourse in order for things to kind of work out. That's yeah. okay. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or your body. It just means you started out with one type of stimulation and that's what you maybe like to keep going with. And the next time you have intercourse, things will be totally different, you know? And I just love what you just said. There's nothing wrong with your body. If you mm-hmm. need stimulation on your clit while you're having penetrative sex, there's nothing wrong with your body if you don't. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I also love that you mentioned your mixed libido relationship because of the fact that I think so much of the time the whole idea is flipped where like the male and the, the partner may have like a mm-hmm. much higher libido than the female. I think that probably would would sum up kind of where my husband and I were at. Well, clearly, whenever I came off the pill and I didn't, totally. want, to have, I didn't want to have sex with myself, with him, with anybody. Yep. Um, and so it's interesting, like where you talk about the the self-pleasure in particular, because I think in marriages, a lot of times, I don't want to say this isn't how we, like, I think, I'm sure somebody probably thinks this, right? Like if you are masturbating, it's like a cheating thing or like a, like a, you know, yeah. there's all kinds of like weird mm-hmm. beliefs about that. Um, but hearing you say that he's very much like, go masturbate, <laughs> go self-pleasure. That's kind of how I am. So I have yeah. been like, baby, like I'm not right? feeling this, but like you got all day when I'm at work, do whatever you want. Yeah. Have fun. It's, I, I think that there is a huge place for healthy and happy masturbation in long-term committed relationships. We don't like to talk about that for some reason. Um, but I, I think there's a place for it. It's when we're hiding things. It's when we're lying. It's when maybe we're masturbating so much that we've lost interest in having an intimate relationship with our partner. Those are big problems. But if you're both on the same page, which would require talking to your partner about your sex life. If you're on the same page about it, it can be such a healthy, happy addition to anybody's sex life and meaningful. You should have a sexual relationship with yourself in some form. That doesn't even necessarily mean that you masturbate. Like some people are like, I just can't, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm like, that's fine, but you should still be well aware of what's going on with your body, what feels good, what works for you. You don't have to explore those things alone. You can explore those things together. But you should have a relationship with yourself and your own body along with the relationship that you have with your partner. Mm-hmm. And I think when I use the term self-pleasure, what helped me after completely losing my libido was taking more time to do things like breast massage, putting mm-hmm. on lotion. Like, And, and I think yes. it also comes from like 20 years of eating disorders and restriction where like I was refusing to find pleasure in food, which is something that people yep. all over the world do totally normally. And let's be honest, like food is pleasurable and it can be, and it should be, you know, it's like, it gets this bad rep, but like, because I was for so long in this place where like, that was definitely not something that I was ever admitting to. And because of my upbringing where pleasure was a bad word. Yep. Being able to just realize like, oh my God, this fucking hot shower feels so good. One of the things I remember I did early on was stand naked in the rain and cry. And I was like, this feels so good. And that was self-pleasure. It wasn't coming to an orgasm. It was like finding these tiny little ways to like feel pleasure Mm -hmm. in any way. In your body. So that then, yeah. I mean, for me, that's like what definitely helped to like understand that pleasure isn't just about achieving an orgasm pleasure is about living in this beautiful body that you were given and like yep. having the best possible life you can. 
Yep. And just experiencing that joy, which is why when some people were like, well, I don't always orgasm when I have sex. And I'm like, is it still pleasurable for you? Yes. Okay. Well, is it a problem? No. Okay. Then it's not a problem. Right. So many of these things, like they're not a problem unless they're a problem. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, we're all just really kind of special and unique in these ways. Yep. And I think the conversation around those exact things, right? Like for a long time, when I was judging myself and refusing to use my vibrator, having sex with my husband, yeah, it wasn't right. as pleasurable as it could have been. But, and there are plenty of times when I don't have an orgasm during sex. And so having that conversation with him afterwards to be like, I still had a great time. It still felt really good, even though I didn't come, relieves the stress yeah. and pressure from him. Because men for so long are like, you have to make her come. First of all, the best thing yeah. I ever learned is like, you are in charge of your own orgasm. Like you are the one who yeah. is in charge of it. So it's like mm-hmm. taking that off of him. Oh, thanks for making me come. We say oftentimes like, thanks for helping with that orgasm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. High five. Yeah. Good good job, team. Totally. I, I cannot advocate for that enough. Like owning your own sexuality and owning your own experience. That's so much weight. And also congratulations. Thank you for not faking orgasms and continuing to normalize that garbage. I'm so over it. I'm done. I quit. I can't. I just feel like I'm repeating that so many times with so many people going, but like, how do you end sex if you don't have an orgasm then? Mm, mm. Well, you high five. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. God, I remember when I used to fake orgasms. Damn, that was forever ago. Sorry about that to all those peeps. <laughs> sorry to sorry to young Leslie, who that that's really the best yes. number one person yes. I apologize to is to myself. Yeah. Absolutely. So anything else that you, you know, want to want to chat about? This this conversation has gone everywhere. <laughs> everywhere everywhere. And everything. I'm obsessed. Um, but just anything else that you want to mention that you know we didn't talk about. How can people work with you? Well, one thing I'd like to, a connection I'd like to make, we just talked about how important it is to talk to your partner about sex. The more you talk to your your partner about it, the easier it's going to be talking to your kids about it if you have kids. And so that practice, it's not only going to affect your relationship, you really are blessing your future children by getting comfortable and um, fluid and, you know, able and, and fluent, really in, in that whole area. So the more you talk to your partner about sex, the more prepared you're going to be to talk to your kids about it. And the more you talk to your kids about it, that you're protecting them. You're blessing your kids with healthy, happy sex lives. And isn't that what we all want for ourselves and for our children and for our friends and our sisters and our brothers? I mean, it's, don't we just want everyone to have great sex? Yeah. Good periods and not be on weird drugs that do crap to their bodies. That's all we want. (laughs) Doesn't seem like that much, honestly. But apparently it's all the things. Apparently it's the whole thing. Anyway, if people would like to find me, I'm over on Instagram. That's definitely home base for me at the Vagina Blog. I also have a blog. I also have a podcast. Season two is coming out hopefully like next week. It's been ready for like a month. (laughs) So hopefully season two will be coming out very, very, very soon. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I loved this conversation and I hope you did too. I will put all of April's links in the show notes below. She also has some excellent recommendations for books that uh, you may want to have, especially if you have kids. I'll put those links below as well. 
The best way for you to connect with me is through Instagram at Leslie Draffin and at the light within podcast. You can send me an email, the light within podcast at gmail.com. Please continue supporting this podcast by rating it, reviewing it and sharing it with someone you love. Thank you guys for spending some time with us this week. And remember, there's no light without darkness, but there's no darkness without light. I'll see you next time.